helpful. Also, I should say for this service, welcome to anybody and everybody who's here virtually. Hope you're well. Um, we trust that that's working. It is working, last I heard. So hopefully our internet does not fail, as it tends to do at times. Okay, turn in your Bible to Isaiah 10, 16. This is a bit weird for me. I don't preach twice. I don't preach the same thing twice in a day. Uh, I've done that one time. Uh, and now that's going to be every time. So I have no idea. I hope you get, for your sake, I hope you get the better version. I don't know. Um, we'll find out. Just don't talk to the other people about what I preach about, okay? Just don't ask them. So I'm going to start at 10.16. We're going to go all the way to, the, to 11.16. We're not going to read all of that. Um, I'll skip some portions to just sort of tell you what's happening in the, in the parts that we can skip. You can always check me later, make sure I'm not lying to you. 10.16. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors. And under his glory, a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. The light of Israel be, will become a fire and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. And then Isaiah goes into a description of uh, how some people will be preserved, preserved as Assyria comes in and invades uh, and what they're going to do, where they're coming from, their invasion route, and uh, how God will still maintain a few people. So then we're going to skip to 11 chapter 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from coastlands of the sea. He'll raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. 
The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulders of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river and his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this word that lives, it's living, it's active, and it is, it is effective. We pray for the wounding of our hearts that comes from your word, that by this wounding we might be healed under your hand. So God, we invite the, your uh, your scalpel-like precision of your word. We pray that our eyes would be opened, our ears would be opened, and that we would be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, that we would be moved into greater and greater love for you in response to your great love for us. We love you, Lord God. Amen. So uh, Isaiah here is, is doing a couple things. One is that he is looking to what is immediately ahead for, for Israel. He's telling them what's going to happen. And then he's looking beyond what's going to immediately happen. And he's going to tell them something that's coming after that. The first thing that he's going to tell them that we heard right at the beginning is that somebody is coming for Israel. And God is telling Israel. They're not just coming because they think it's their idea. They're coming because God is sending them. He's sending Assyria to judge Israel. And that's the language that he uses is that there is going to be this sweeping judgment like a wildfire. He says the light of Israel will be like a fire and it will, it will blow through the forest of Israel and it will, it will lay waste to Israel. It's totally and completely. But he says there, there will be a few trees left, so few that a child could number them or name them or keep track of them. He's saying that is what is called the remnant of Israel. And Isaiah will use this language of remnant, uh, not just here, but throughout his book, that God is going to preserve a few of Israel to continue his plan. Because God has put himself on the line with Israel and covenanted to Abraham, to David. He said, through these people, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Through David's family, there's going to be a king that sits on the throne forever. And he's saying, I'm not giving up on the plan. The plan is not changing. So I will preserve in Israel a few and, and I will bring them back. And so then Isaiah starts talking about the, on the other side of this judgment, the movement of when God will bring them back to Israel. And what he then looks down the road and sees is one who comes from the stump of Jesse. So he, he continues this image of this burned out forest. And he says, from one of these burned out trees, a stump of Jesse will, will shoot a new branch. Now, if you don't know who Jesse is, that doesn't feel like it makes a ton of sense. Jesse is David's father. 
David, the greatest king of Israel, David, the one who's received the Davidic covenant, whom God has promised that that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever, that through David's family, God would establish peace for Israel, for his people forever, that God would have this special kinship with David's family. So when he says the stump of Jesse, he's talking about David's family. And so he's saying from this sort of burned out rubble of David's family, there will be a shoot, there will be a new growth. And in a sense, the, the, the forest will be reseeded and, and start to grow again. And what's coming is a king. That's what really matters from David's family is that there's a king that will continue this Davidic promise. And so then Isaiah starts to describe the king that's coming in this relatively famous passage. And he describes a king that's coming that will, will do, will accomplish, will succeed where all of David's family has previously failed. He will be one upon whom the Spirit of God rests. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't just pop up in the Bible after you turn the page into the New Testament. The Spirit of God uh, appears in the Old Testament, but it's always in these momentary ways. So, for example, when the Israelites are building the tabernacle, this precursor to the temple, this tent where they will meet with God, the tent of meeting, it says that the Spirit came upon two of these men, these craftsmen, these artisans, so they would be able to accomplish the task that God was giving them, that they were, they were taking up. But it's only for that moment. But here, this king who's coming, the Spirit rests on him, dwells on him in a way that nobody else can say before this. And he will be a king who rules in actual righteousness. And the way that that's measured is the way that he deals with the poor. Repeatedly in the prophets, the prophets will come to Israel and litigate their case on behalf of God and say, here's the proof that you have failed to be the people that you said you would be when you agreed to my covenant because you have failed to take care of the poor. And the, the most Uh, cutting indictment of the kings, the rulers of Israel, again and again, is that the kings fail. They are the ones who are supposed, above all, supposed to make sure that justice is done on behalf of the poor, and they fail. They, They are the ones who lead the crushing of the poor. Isaiah previously says that we saw, you grind the face of the poor. And here is a king from David's family who will judge the poor rightly, with equity. He says he, he will do right by the meek, the meek, the powerless, the ones who don't seem to be the ones that have the means, the authority to protect themselves. This king will do that where David's descendants previously have failed. And what happens is, is when this king comes, there's, the world is right-sized. It's, it, is, it is reordered in such a way that everything comes into a kind of harmony and non-competition that we have yet to see. So he uses the language of, of animals to help us understand. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. That's not what wolves do. Wolves eat lambs. But here the, the wolf dwells with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat rather than eating the young goat. And this is, you have these these carnivores acting like herbivores. You have these meat eaters eating grass, bears grazing like cows. The point point being that we live in a world, and Israel has lived in a world, where you, for you to succeed, for you to be well, somebody else has to suffer for you to be well. 
And in the world that, that is brought, when the king of Israel, the king of David, the descendant of David, when he comes on the scene and he brings his kingdom in fullness and in power, that world vanishes. Now, now the wolf can be well fed at the same time that the lamb is well fed. There is what we would learn from uh, our Hebrew brothers and sisters is shalom. It's not just peace. It's not just the absence of wars and conflict. It is that everything is rightly in harmony with one another and with God. He brings this kind of transcendent peace. And then he's described not just as this peacemaking, just king, but at the end, the second half of chapter 11, there is this what's described as a new exodus. He says, then, then I'll bring the remnant out of where they are. And I'll make a way for them to come home. He describes this, this highway, this, this flat, safe road that will enable these remnant people to come home, back from where they had been sent. He, he pulls back from Israel's story, the language of the Exodus. That's why he starts talking about Egypt at the end. He says that he's going to destroy the tongues of the Red Sea. You know, the Red Sea, if you're not familiar with it, uh, that the, the Israelites crossed when they left Egypt has these sort of fingers at the top. And in between is the Sinai Peninsula. And they went across one of these fingers uh, during the miraculous exodus from Egypt. And Isaiah is saying, this thing that God is going to do, he's not just going to split the waters of the Red Sea, he's going to just destroy it. And he says, God will split the rivers. So from one great river, from the, from the one great river, will be seven channels. So the people will be able to walk across with sandals on dry ground instead of swimming across. The people will be able to come home. I, Israel is being prepared by Isaiah for what is about to happen. Something terrible is going to happen. And there's, there's no other way to talk about what Isaiah is talking about other than that it is terrible. Assyria is not, is, is not something to be joked about for Israel. Assyria is just to the north of Israel. They are the big bad guys in the neighborhood and they are mean. They are beyond bullies. They are vicious. They are cruel. That is their reputation. They love that reputation. They develop it. They cultivate it. They publicize it and they back it up. Assyria is about to come into Israel and lay waste to it. And what Isaiah is telling the people of Israel is be clear on where your hope comes from. Be clear on what God says he will do and where the way home will appear from. It's really important to, to look at this and read this message from Isaiah and, and understand that Isaiah is not preaching this message to them as an invitation to battle. He's not telling them like, look, if you train really hard, if you build up your military, if you develop your strengths, if you learn the tactics of Assyria and you push back hard enough, you will be able to stop this from happening. You will be able to push off the, the oppression of your enemy and then you'll be fine. He's not inviting them to meet Assyria on Assyria's terms. He's saying there's no point to that. Assyria is going to win. And Israel will be de 
de, uh, they'll be brought home. They will be delivered, not when they become more Assyrian. Their hope will come when God will do something that only God can do. And so they are being commanded to abandon all hope in their own strength and means. They're, they're meant to see the way that Assyria operates and understand that they are not going to exist in the world the way that Assyrians exist in the world. They must set their hopes on the God who alone can deliver them. And the one who will come, this descendant of David, this, this one who springs from the stump of Jesse, he is the kind of king who will be like no other king. He'll be better than the kings of Assyria. He will, he will see and judge not just what your eyes can see on the surface. He can see right to the heart of things. He will take care of not just the ones who are first in line, who have the most power, who are already the most popular. That's the way that the world normally operates. The king that's coming, he sees beyond what you can just see on the surface. And he judges equitably for the poor and for the meek. And there, Isaiah is telling the people, that is who you have to trust. That one. This is so counter to the rationale that we naturally find ourselves in in the world, even today. Our inclination is that if somebody punches us in the face, we better be ready to punch back. If, if the world is going to operate according to this logic, we must be prepared to meet the world on its terms and just do it better or harder or louder or stronger. That's how you win. But Isaiah is telling Israel something that applies to them and applies to us, that that is not the way that the remnant of God, the, the remnant of the people of God are meant to exist in the world. That is not where your hope comes from. Your hope only gets to come from this king who takes a remnant of this burned out forest and brings new life through it. Of course, Jesus presents himself as this very person. He, he stands up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is, is on me. He's quoting from a later passage in Isaiah. But he identifies himself as the one on whom the spirit rests. And he gathers about himself all kinds of people that this descendant of David judges for. And in fact, Jesus stands on top of a mountain. And he tells the people things like, blessed are you if you are poor. Blessed are you if you are meek. Why? Because he's the one who's going to do right by them. Jesus stands up and presents himself as this, the new life springing forth from the hollowed out, burned out stump of Jesse. And he invites the people to put their trust in him and him alone. And of course, we are the people who are yet gathered around him, gathered around those words, being invited to trust him in the midst of terrible times. I mean, has anybody looked at 2020 on the calendar and said, man, this, things are going great this year. Think this is, this is a banner year. Nobody thinks that. This has been a terrible year. You're all sitting here six feet apart from each other with masks on. It's not because things are going great. Things are going terrible. You could be in the midst of 
pandemic and lots of other things, all kinds of suffering. You could be in the midst of dealing with real sin. And your inclination in mind is to, to meet that kind of suffering and to somehow figure out how to muster up our strength and defeat Assyria on Assyria's terms. And that has never been the way of the people of God. That has been the way that we have tempted, been tempted many times. But that is not the way of the people of God. We, we look back to the cross of Jesus. And we look out at the world as it is now. And we say, this king has come. And yet, he is still coming. Do we live in the world right now where the wolf lays down with the lamb? No, absolutely not. This world is run by wolves, devouring lambs left and right. Are the poor judged with equity? Does anybody look at our world and say, you know, this world is pretty fair for poor people? Absolutely not. This world is not constructed for the weak and the poor. It's built upon the backs of the weak and the poor. So as we look back and we look out to today, can we possibly say that everything is as it should be? No, it is not. The Christian confession is that Christ has come and Christ is coming again. And the fullness of this king's reign will make everything right, just as Isaiah prophesied. However, we live between the two comings. We live in tension between these two moments. We can still say, we still yet appear to be in the midst of exile. We still appear to be living in Assyria. We still are trapped. And so because we are still the people who are living in Assyria, we need to listen to Isaiah's message and pay attention to what he is saying. Listen closely and be warned and encouraged. Be warned, first of all, that you would be tempted by the way of Assyria and think that that is how you must forge your way in this world. But all we have to do is to look at the cross the crucified God, and say, there is no guarantee at all that our life will be exempt from suffering. The God that we worship was crucified on a tree. God is present with us still yet in the midst of suffering. Christ has come, but Christ will come again. And all the things, all, all of the, the, the mountains that need to be brought low, all the valleys that need to be raised will be done. And the highway will be laid and the exodus will find its completion. Notice in Isaiah chapter 11, the order of operations, the king comes and then he will extend his hand yet a second time is what it says. And he will call forth the remnant out of the land of Assyria. What I want to have you see there is that 
as you suffer now, as things are difficult now, whatever degree your suffering is, whether your degree of suffering is physical pain, facing the terror of the tomb, all the way down to the very real suffering of trying to get your kindergartner to do Zoom kindergarten, which I can testify is a kind of suffering. Wherever you are on that spectrum of suffering, that is a place from which God will move in and call you out. It doesn't say to the people of Israel, look, if you can figure out how to escape from Assyria and get like halfway home, if you, if you can just like get outside and over the fence, then I'll be right there and I'll help you. What he says is he will run that highway into Assyria and he will pull you out. No matter how deeply you are in despair, no matter how deeply you are in the midst of suffering, no matter if you go down to the tomb itself, that highway runs into where you are and he rescues you out of it. So there is no amount of suffering or despair that you can be in right now that the king of Israel, the descendant of David, the shoot out of the stump of Jesse cannot come and will not come and lead you like he led the people of Israel, crushing the powers of Pharaoh. If you are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you have the name of God written on your forehead to remind you that he is the God who brings you through the waters and crushes the pharaohs that are behind you, chasing you to what you think is your death. Even in the midst of despair and suffering, our God is the one who lays a highway of deliverance to bring you home. And your hope has to be in him. It cannot be a strategy to avoid suffering. It cannot be power that you accumulate. It cannot be another person or cause. It cannot be yourself. Your hope has to be this one upon whom the Spirit dwells and from whom the Spirit has been breathed out into the world. We are the ones who stand here on the other side of Jesus and say, we have seen and experienced the way that he has spoken a word that has been like a rod that has fallen on the back of the kingdoms of this world. And we are the ones who live reckoning as if his kingdom is surely going to come. We know that we live in a world that's full of leopards and wolves that are still hunting. But we're going to live as if that kingdom that is coming surely is coming. So that I don't have to constantly be thinking that it's my success at the cost of somebody else. It's my success at the cost of somebody else's suffering. We live in true trust. The kingdom has come, and yet it is coming. We may still be in Assyria, but we act as if the highway is just on the other side of our doorstep. People of God, exodus is at hand. If you are still ensnared in sin, and if you have been crushed by the powers of suffering, you've been crushed by the powers of evil, you've been crushed by the power of fear and darkness, God is laying the, the road down in front of your doorstep so that you might begin to be delivered out of it. And if you have already trusted Jesus, you say, yes, I follow Jesus. Life is hard right now. Yes, it is. Nobody is saying otherwise. Yet in the midst of Assyria, 
God is yet with you. And what he is doing in you, he will finish. He will finish. And though you may be tired and weary and heartbroken, Exodus will find its homecoming. And one day you will come to the mountain of the Lord that we were at about in our call to worship in Psalm 48. And it will be as Isaiah said. The knowledge of the glory of God will cover the world like the waters cover the seas. You will be brought home and he will finish what he has started because there is no king like King Jesus and you can take him at his word. Put your hope in him. Any other hope is misplaced and will surely fail you, but he will not. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, for sending your prophet Isaiah. We thank you for your word that is preserved for us. That though it was not spoken to us, it was certainly spoken for us. I pray, God, that you would continue in your work of deliverance in us. That our hopes would be, be focused and fixated on you. That we would not fall prey to the temptation to find a deliverer from Assyria that is just like Assyria. I pray, God, that our hearts would not be so moved by anger and by fear and by suffering. That we would choose to look away from the hope that you have presented only in yourself. God, I pray that you would help us see you that we would look to you as the one who sprouted from Jesse's stump. And we would find safety in the, in the shelter of your shade for your people. Father, I pray for those who feel ensnared in sin and have just tried so hard to be free. Instead of looking to you for rescue, first and foremost, pray, God, that you would deliver them this morning. And I pray for all of us who have been tempted, fallen prey to the temptation to work according to the way the world works, that we have lost our hope because the way the world works tells us that it's bad, it could be worse, it's getting worse, instead of looking to you and trusting you. Pray that you would wipe away all those inferior alternative hopes, and instead that we would cling to you our deliverer. We thank you that you have come and that you, have, you are coming again. We pray that you would make us strong to endure, to wait patiently until that day comes, trusting that in the meantime you will never leave us or forsake us, but instead carry us home. 